This is episode number 130 with our guest, Bianca Caban. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending your time with me. You're about to hear the interview I had with Bianca Caban, which took place as part of my uh, time at the podcast Row event in New York City. Bianca is the managing director of SheWorks, and SheWorks is a collective of female-driven entrepreneurs and companies that are looking to redefine the next wave of leadership. Bianca herself was born and raised in the Bronx. She's of Puerto Rican descent, which, as she says, her, her, her mom is a nurse, her dad is a civil rights attorney, and with her family's aspiration for proving themselves and building a stable financial future, she saw how that peaked through her own career Track. She started working on Wall Street. You're going to hear these stories, which led her into doing business in places like Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. She got to sit down and meet several heads of state in Africa, including the president of Rwanda. And her story goes on and on, which led led her to where she is today. Her parents and her valued education, and that's been a running theme. We talk about how one's upbringing and environment, remember she was born and raised in the Bronx, and we talk about how your environment affect and influence your outlook on life. Today, Bianca, of course, is focused on nurturing the ever-growing community of women-driven businesses and not only connecting them with each other, but also connecting them to the bigger picture, which in her case is investment opportunities through investors. This is a really powerful interview, and I'll leave you with one big point, focus on the next big thing instead of the future. That comes from something one of her professors told her. He said, don't focus on the future. Don't focus on the next two years or five years from now. Imagine focusing on what is the next best thing for you? What feels right for you to do next immediately? Boy, does that resonate with me. How many times do we get stuck just because we can't figure out what to do next because all these thoughts and decisions are coming at us at once? But imagine if you just took a step back and figured out what is the next best thing? What feels right that I can do? What is that next one step? That's the theme 
of this interview, and you'll see how it took her from growing up as a young child in the Bronx to her life today, which is extraordinary. So I hope you get that. I hope you figure out what your very next best step is for you and find yourself doing it. Here's my interview with the amazing Bianca Caban. We want the best of both worlds. We want a hybrid. A smarter hybrid cloud approach with IBM helps retailers manage supply chains with Watson AI while predicting demands with ease. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owners, turn your smartphone into a cash register. PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy way to get paid in store, and they deliver the same security and trust PayPal is known for online, in person even if you're a cash-only business. With PayPal QR codes, you can accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. There's no additional hardware or software needed. Generate your unique QR code from the PayPal app and display it on your device or print it to display in store. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app. You only need your smartphone. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for tuning back into another episode of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey, with another one of my favorite episodes because I love in-studio dialogue where I get the opportunity to sit face-to-face with a brilliant entrepreneur, and today is no different. Um, I'm here with Bianca Caban. Welcome, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me. You are the managing director of SheWorks, which was just acquired by uh, Republic. You're yes. also um, you're in charge of partnerships at Republic. Yes. So you are all kinds of integrated in the entrepreneurial space. Do you just love the entrepreneur? I do. I love entrepreneurs. I myself was an entrepreneur for a brief period, and I have to tell you, it the amount of grit and resilience and creativity that it takes is just something to be admired so much. And by the way, I think entrepreneurship can show itself in many different forms. I know you were an actor and I believe actors are, are entrepreneurs. They're selling themselves. So It's so true. I'm glad you yeah. brought that up. A lot of people miss that fact. Everybody in the entertainment business, uh, we're currently at a stand-up club, yes. stand-up comics. Hey, you might have an agent, a manager, a publicist, what have you, but you are responsible for um, you know your branding, your positioning, your your foot forward. So exactly. it's so true that we're all entrepreneurs. And I think even people who are who are in in a business working at a job, quote unquote, they have an entrepreneurial responsibility for themselves to do their best too, right? Absolutely. I think that within if you look at you know, there are opportunities within a business to be entrepreneurial. So you can be at a larger company and starting a new business line or building out a new function or building out a new team to address something different or, or to double down on a, one strategy. So I think you can definitely, you know, execute entrepreneurship in various forms. But I think when, when you're kind of, you know, full force on your own as an entrepreneur, I think it takes a bit of, I, I think someone said it earlier today, you have to be a little crazy to, how to to feel that you are going to make it, you're going to succeed. There's a little bit of irrational, you know, in irrationality in there, but but mostly just tremendous passion and greater resilience. And I admire entrepreneurs so much for what they do and what they build. And so, you know, in some ways I've made it my life's work to support them and and invest in them, uh, both time, resources, and capital. 
you were you were born and raised in the Bronx, yes. New York, of Puerto Rican descent. What a combination. How has your environment affected or influenced who you are today? Sure. So I'm I'm really blessed. I feel lucky to have been born and raised in New York City. I think the amount of exposure you get to various different kinds of people, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions, ethnicities is just unlike it's very it's like very few places, you know, really in the world where the exposure you get here in New York City and growing up in New York, I was born and raised in the Bronx. I had family in every borough um, and went to high school in Manhattan, which was really interesting. And I think for me, one thing that I did notice growing up is uh, so on the sort of maybe not so positive side was really kind of the disparity in access to educational opportunities and business opportunities that I saw from, you know, growing up in the Bronx where I was more exposed to kind of low-income, middle-income folks to going to high school in Manhattan where I was, you know, going to high school with some of the more, the, the most sort of elite and affluent families in the world. And so I think it's it's really about, I think as a result, what that has done for me is to say, how can I help and do my part in leveling the playing field? Because I I know that the talent is evenly distributed. You know, I've seen that in, you know, I've witnessed that growing up in the Bronx and, and into the, in, on the entrepreneurs around me um, opening up hair salons or whatever it was. And, but capital isn't evenly distributed. So if we can better match that, I think actually everybody's better off because we'll have more job creation, more revenue uh, creation injected into our economy. So I think for me, Growing up in New York City is, is really essential to who I am, um, both, you know, in positive ways in terms of seeing that the, the beauty of kind of um, all the different kinds of people that are here and come to make it in New York, but also in so other, I wouldn't say negative, but ways that I realize there are challenges that we have to face and, and work on, such as um, not, unequal access to capital and opportunity. So today you focus on the the women-driven business. Um, do, did you see um, did you see your road looking back leading to that? So it's interesting because I had a college professor uh, back when I was in school or I was graduating that said to me, "Don't worry about." Two years from now or five years from now, like even if you ask me right now, what do you want to do in five, two years? Where do you want to go? Where are you going? I probably wouldn't be able to give you a, a really concrete answer. I have a sense for what I what I care about and what my purpose is. But he said to me, just focus on what is the next best thing. What what feels right for you to do next, like immediately. And that's actually with that mentality is is how I ended up on Wall Street. Um, I didn't really know much about Wall Street, but you know, my mom's a nurse and my dad's a civil rights attorney. Um, so I didn't have anyone in my family really, and they were the first to go to college. So I didn't really have anyone in my family that kind of worked on Wall Street. Or So when I jumped into Wall Street, it was because I thought I could use this skill set at some point in my life, this skill set of valuation and financial mm. modeling and analysis. I thought I could use it at some point. But at that time, if you asked me, oh, you know, would you be working at a fin, you know, a, a fast growing fintech company leading the female founder community? I would not be able to tell you that to make that connect, connection. But in hindsight, if I think about it, that fundamental skill set that I gained in terms of jumping into Wall Street is is what I've taken with me throughout my entire career. And, and, and so, you know, I think um, that's interesting. And so, but also I think in terms of entrepreneurship, 
I've always had entrepreneurial leanings and I've always had this focus on female empowerment. As I mentioned, I went to high school in Manhattan. I went to an all-girls school called Chapin. Mm. And uh, in college, I was an intern at the inaugural Harvard College Women's Center at the time. And then I was part of a women's group, nonprofit group called the Seneca in college. And so I always gravitated towards these all gender, you know, single gender environments because I learned the power of those environments when I was in high school of, of really having that that space for women to be comfortable, to ask questions, to explore themselves in that, you know, single gender environment and how powerful that is for women. So I think, again, fast forward, I, in some way, in a huge way, it's now reflected in my career, but I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that back then, but it kind of does all tie in in some ways. You spent time in Africa and yes. having met the president of Rwanda, all, all the same trip, how in the world did your life lead you there? That's a good question. <laughs> um, so when I was on Wall Street, I worked at a couple of large companies. As I mentioned, I worked on uh, an equity research at Credit Suisse, and then I worked at BlackRock. I My last stint on Wall Street was at a merchant bank. And that how I ended up there was when I was on Wall Street kind of building my acumen, I was approached by a headhunter who said, hey, there's two senior um, two senior gentlemen who are leaving Wall Street to start a merchant bank, and they're looking for an analyst. And so, again, it was one of those moments where I said, well, I've always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. This sounds like I can learn so much, and I can kind of bring my full skill set uh, to bear. And um, so I took the leap to do that, which which then evolved into helping them launch their first investment vehicle, which invested in companies in Africa. And so that's how I traveled to Nigeria. That's how I met several heads of state of Africa, including the president of Rwanda, and got exposure to doing business in emerging economies, such as these fast-growing economies in Africa. And what was fascinating about that was that it was a really pivotal moment in my career because I, I, I learned how they were growing their economies which were some at the time and probably still are some of the fastest growing in the world, fastest growing. Um, and I learned that they invested in women, they invested in young entrepreneurs, they invested mm. in technology. And it was just so fascinating to say, if if these economies can grow fast, d employing these strategies, why can't that work in the Bronx, where I'm from? Why can't it work in Detroit or San Juan? Or why can't it work in, in our amazing country in the US? Of, and then I learned, well, women are actually starting businesses at they're the fastest growing group of business owners in the U.S. So all we have to do is connect them to the capital they need to succeed and our entire economy can flourish. You had interaction with the president of Rwanda? Yes. What What did you gain from that interaction? So first of all, um, I think he has, I'm no expert on sort of the geopolitics of the region, but I, I, he has a complicated uh, history, right? Um, I've seen movies. Right, exactly. And, you know, we uh, some of us have seen movies, you read books. And so I think... Um, what I would say is, so I was, despite the the sort of, um, I think, cloudy track record, and, and I think there is controversy around his, his leadership, what I would say is if you look at Rwanda and you look at the, um, the education rates, the amelioration of HIV, the um, investment in technology, I mean, Paul Kagame was behind the investment in laying fiber optic cables throughout Kigali. So it would be the first, one of the first cities in the world that had, was a Wi-Fi free zone for the entire city, things like that. Mm. And you look at, and, and one thing that he said um, was, I cannot afford to leave half the population out 
of my economy. Um, and so he said, I need, I, when I looked at this country and how we were going to revitalize um, from civil war only 20 years ago, how we, imagine civil war 20 years ago to now one of the fastest growing economies in the world. How do you do that? Well, he said, I am leveraging women. And he said, and so one point that he made was women, he has, Rwanda has the highest percentage of women in their parliament in the entire world. And so that's just stuck with me. And so, you know, whatever you think about him and his track, you know, his track record and his leadership, I think there are obviously some success stories to point to. And that, what he said and what, what is evident in his parliament um, stuck with me in terms of leveraging women. Um, so that, that, was, that was kind of a pivotal moment for me. Let's go back to your, your upbringing here in the Bronx. Um, what was life like, really? Paint the picture for us. Yeah, What was sure. going on? So I think I might have mentioned it, but my, my parents were both, you know, working, you know, and in hindsight, thinking about you know, my mom being a working professional, working, you know, two, three jobs. She's a nurse. And, um, and she did, she did work throughout entire upbringing. So she's a nurse. My dad's a civil rights attorney. And, um, I grew up with two sisters. We grew up in a kind of middle-class neighborhood in the Bronx. And for me, it was, um, for me, what was, what my parents always prioritized first and foremost was education. So everything kind of centered around that for them. They grew up kind of poor in New York city housing projects, and they were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps through education, through getting their master's all the way through, even though my father was went, attended public school the entire way from K all the way through his law school um, degree was all public school, New York City public schools. So no matter what you have in front of you, just education, focus on education. And so that was really my upbringing. It was, you know, it was very family oriented. Um, I had family throughout New York City, so I would visit um, visit my family in different boroughs in Brooklyn and Manhattan. My, I have an uncle that lives in Manhattan. Um, and then we would, you know, it would be about school. So we were in private Catholic school uh, that my parents, again, my parents wanted to put us in the best resources they had. So put us in the best educational opportunities that they could. So we were in private Catholic school from K through eight. And then my older sister, who is one academic year older than me, she found out about, my dad found out about this program called A Better Chance, which helped talented minority kids to gain access to the independent school system. So oftentimes um, people may have heard of Prep for Prep or A Better Chance. And so Selena, my older sister, uh, gained admission to a couple of independent schools through that program, one of them being Chapin. And so when, when Selena decided to matriculate at Chapin, I the next year, you know, applied to schools, to high schools, and I got into Chapin as well. And then I also got into, I was assigned between Chapin and Bronx Science, Bronx High School of Science. And I ultimately wanted to go to Chapin because Selena, my older sister was there and um, it was probably easier for my parents to not have to, you know, bring us to all these different places. But it really was all focused on family and education. Those were like the two pillars of our, of our lives. So what was your um, outlook and your thoughts and beliefs on the world around you at that time growing up? Yeah, that's a great question. If I think back, I, I think in a lot of ways, um, I, you know, I, I kind of felt really privileged. Like I, I never, you know, was left for want or whatever their expression is. Like I never felt like I needed anything. I, I felt very content with what I had. You know, we had a, we had a small backyard, all the kids on the block would come play in our backyard. I, 
Well, that is one thing when I when I look back and I reflect on my time growing up, I, I was I always enjoyed like convening people, especially people that were different from each other and maybe wouldn't have gotten along if not for me being like the glue. So I always enjoyed that. And so, um, and I think that's a result of just, again, growing up in New York City around, around so many different kinds of people. And I just love learning about people's stories and who they are and where they're from. And then like bringing them together, like, oh, you know, you should you should hang out with this person or you should come to my house. We're playing basketball in my, back, in my backyard or whatever. And if I think about my outlook then, I think it was just purely just like, how do I build connections? I don't know. I just liked doing that. And so if I fast forward now, my job is really in like building connections with people in terms of building partners and convening people. And I think that that was really, I I actually didn't even realize it until talking about it and crystallizing it right now. But it's like, I think I always did really enjoy, um, enjoy doing that. So it's so funny. Cause as you were saying that I made that connection too. like, uh, that's exactly what you do today, right? You, right. you connect, um, pr- uh, female led companies yeah. with investors. Exactly. So, well, on the Republic side of things before our, our acquisition of she works, I was leading partnerships and I still am working on partnerships. And then also I've taken on she works, but with, with partnerships, what we were doing, what I was doing is essentially building relationships with VCs, accelerators, ecosystem builders, hmm. exposing them to what we were doing and sourcing great top deals from those entities. And then on the shoework side of things, our bread and butter is exactly that building community, connecting founders to a community. So connecting founders to each other, but also exposing them to top investors and top entrepreneurs to learn, to build connections, to ultimately, you know, potentially raise capital from from those um, mentors. And that's the bread and butter of SheWorks is closing the funding gap through collaboration and not competition. So, so, so yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways, I am connecting the dots for on the Republic side, connecting the dots with, you know, getting deal flow from our partners to connect them to opportunities in our ecosystem. And then on the SheWorks side, it's connecting the dots for female founders to capital sources, but also to each other um, to, to learn and grow and have that community where they can support each other. Isn't community and partnerships and networking, isn't that vital to any entrepreneur at any stage? Absolutely. In fact, it might, I might go as far to say it's more important than capital because if you speak to any of the top VCs, we just had Stephanie Palmieri from Uncork Capital, a partner of Uncork Capital, one of the top seed investors in Silicon Valley last week at a SheWorks breakfast. And she said to the room, bootstrap as long as possible. You, you should only secure or go for a venture capital investment when you, when your business is working, when you have traction and you want to put fuel to that fire. But up until then, it's really just a grind of how do I, how do I grow my business? How do I meet the right people to do that? How do I build an advisory board of experts in their field that can give me actually knowledge and expertise and advice in exchange for equity? Not, not, I don't even want their money. Like forget money. I just want to build this board to grow my business, to enhance and, um, the skill sets that I lack, for example. So I think with entrepreneurship, I think the top investors will say, yeah, bootstrap as long as possible. That's because, and what you, what do you need to do that? What do you need to grow a business? You need networks, you need, um, resources and you need knowledge. But even that is a skill and sometimes an obstacle for founders to do right. To build that team. Yes. What, how, how do they get that? How do they, how do they learn that skill? What do they need to, 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 to do that? Yeah. I think that's, I think it's a great question. I think, you know, 
I, uh, in some ways, what, what I've seen work for founders and, um, is really thinking through what, like being honest and self-reflective and saying, well, what are, what are my superpowers? What are my strengths? And going out and finding people that have complementary strengths to you. So like not overlapping strengths because then, you know, it's a small team. Ideally, you know, if you do, if you are able to like bootstrap and pay yourself a salary, you, it's, you know, you want to be the most efficient as possible. You don't want to be paying two people with the same skill set a salary, right? Because then that's not the best use of funds to grow the business. So you want to find those complementary skill sets. And then I think um, it's similar when you're, when you're, so I, I guess it's being honest, being self-reflective, being willing to give up control. So obviously if you're thinking about building a team, you have to, you know, have the ability to, to be flexible and say, okay, um, I'm going to, you know, cede some control to a co-founder or to a very valuable team member and give equity and ownership and voting rights and all that great stuff. So it's, I think it's the ability to be flexible in your mindset that perhaps this is your baby or you've built this to a certain extent, but in order to get to the next level, you have to kind of be humble and realize like you, you lack certain things or you have to give up some decision-making ability. So I think it's a combination of really um, so many different skills, which is why I, I admire founders so much because I think they're juggling a lot. But I think ultimately it's like, where do you, what skills do you lack? What strengths do you have and not have? And how do you find those in other people? And then it's, it's about inspiring, right? So I mean, some of the best founders out there are the most inspirational people. In fact, I would argue it's like one of the most important qualities to to be able to inspire a team, to be able to inspire someone to probably leave their job, give up their salary to build this vision with you. You have to be incredibly, and I think the way to do that is to just be passionate about what you're building. Even if it's just to say, I know that this will make a lot of money and this idea is gonna is gonna make it, like it, or you can, or you know, Obviously, there's there's the whole a whole other scale of like social entrepreneurs where they're also passionate about their impact. That's whatever spectrum that you're on. Be passionate about the company and the idea, and then you'll be able to, I think, influence people to join you on that journey. But even now, I mean, our CEO Ken is incredibly inspiring. His ability to attract talent is like no other. I mean, it's such an important skill to have as a founder to attract talent, and that's just like having that ability to influence people. How do you attract talent? Is it about just just putting yourself out there and seeing who comes back? I think you attract talent by first and foremost, at least I guess I can speak for myself, I can speak to what I've seen work is you have to be um you have to be a visionary. So to be able to communicate why this idea is not only going to work, but there's actually, it's not just this idea. It's, it's where you see this going. That's, that's, you know, uh, that crazy idea, you know, I think someone earlier today or James was talking about just like this crazy, this extraordinary new world that could be to be able to communicate that. I think it's also being, um, humble as well as having tremendous integrity. I think that goes such a long way. And especially, and I learned that from Kamal Ravikant, who's a mentor of mine, um, an author, best-selling author and brother of Naval Ravikant, um, who started AngelList. And Kamal was saying to me, when I started to delve into tech, he's like, this tech world is so small. You All you have is your reputation. And we don't do things. We don't, if someone's backhanded or someone is not ethical, first of all, not only does it get around because it's a small world, but in tech, people operate on trust and on people doing the right thing more so than I think any other sector I've seen, at least, or even working on Wall Street, I think because in a lot of ways in tech, there's this aspect of like nonprofit almost. It's the only business where there's like a nonprofit aspect that is to say, 
you you're kind of working on something and whether or not that idea works out or you know from a venture capital perspective whether or not this idea works out that you're backing you feel you're backing it anyway because there's this irrational idea that you're you're furthering progress and innovation even if it's not this idea maybe the next one after that so there's something kind of kooky about venture and tech and something irrational about it but i think that translates to the kind of like the more emotional side of the business where people you do need to have highest integrity and in people, you know, and so I think that's how you attract talent. You strike me as somebody who today is confident, put together, driven, go get them, know how. Has that always been the case? So I think I've always been, um, I've always been ambitious. I think I've always, but I think for me, I, I, I like to compete with myself. I'm not a super competitive with, with other people as much. I, um, I think, I think, um, what I've come to realize is that it's, it's, I guess through being an entrepreneur and through being in business now for, um, I guess a little over 10 years, like in the business world, I've realized that, that it's not a zero sum game that everyone can win. And so, but I think until I realized that maybe there, maybe I wasn't as confident because I felt that you know, if I give someone else an opportunity or if I, you know, do something for someone else or, or if, if I, um, or maybe someone else, I see someone else kind of winning in their career, You're losing, I'm yeah. losing. Exactly. But I think once I realized through a few different things, I mean, it was a combination of, um, when I was an entrepreneur, a couple of other women entrepreneurs, you know, just would, would, you know, do small things like they, they couldn't, they couldn't make make an article for whatever reason. And so they said, you know, you should interview Bianca instead. Or, you know, or different things that I had done where I'll give you actually another example that involves Kamal. As you can see, he's been, he's a, a big mentor of mine where I said to him, I, I would love for you, I was, I said, I would love for you to come down to Puerto Rico to interview founders down there, sorry, to uh, speak to founders down there. And I think they would be so inspired by you and your ability to talk about stories of success from Silicon Valley and, um, and, and, and never did I expect for that gesture that I extended to him to translate to in the future, him introducing me to Ken Wen, who's the CEO of Republic, like, you know, three years later. That's how you got where you are yes. today. See, let's, let's unravel that for a minute. Yeah. So you reached out to your mentor, you saw an opportunity, you said, Hey, this would be a great thing. Did that ever happen? That event that you invited him to? Yes. So he ended up, so he said to me, you know, I so appreciate you thinking of me and yeah, I'll, I'll come down. So I worked with the local ecosystem down there to bring him down. We brought him to Sung Wong. He spoke in front of this, this large, it was, you know, probably around a thousand person audience of business people in Puerto Rico about Silicon Valley and tech and, and, um, it ha yeah. And so, and, and I, you know, so in some ways, I, and, 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 and also we did work together beyond that. But I think then, you know, three years later, I think that act of, of exposing him to that opportunity stuck with him. And, and he, he always just, he said, I want, you know, anytime you need guidance, anytime you need mentorship, I'm here for you. And he meant it. And there were several times over the next few years that I reached out and said, what do you think? And bounce ideas off of him and all this. And then, then he said to me when I was graduating from business school, you should meet Ken. Um, Kendrick Wen, the CEO of Republic, I think you would really hit it off. You have your very mission aligned, values mm -hmm. aligned. You want to break into tech. I think, you know, so I think, I guess I say that to say that, like, I, I don't know if it's kind of, um, anyway, I think built, the confidence came after I saw a few times over that acts of kind of 
generosity and acts of pulling people up with you both ways um, uh, kind of go above and beyond sort of just, you know, your individual kind of ambition or your individual success, if that makes sense. And so that's how, through that process of seeing that, how I gained confidence in myself um, even more so than probably when I started out. The My brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, was founded on the idea that I spent a lifetime hiding behind fear, showing up in all kinds of situations, uh, seeking approval and just looking for all of that and using fear as an excuse not to do everything that I knew I was capable of doing. Was there a time in your life that you were overcome with fear, mm. but you knew you could either, um, you know, succumb to it or, you know what, I just got to go right through it? Yeah. I mean, so I would say, so when I was building my, my consultancy, um, entrepreneurship is very hard. So it was about a year into building my consultancy and I, I kind of said to him, at that point I had gotten off the like hamster wheel of corporate America. So it's hard, it's hard to get back on that wheel once you get off of it. Um, but I, but I said to myself, I know I want to go into tech and I looked at, I took a hard look at my business which at that point wasn't going to sustain my, my, you know, my ability to, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't operate on a full, you know, get a full-time salary for my business as, as the way it was going. And, and also at that point I had seen and kind of come to the conclusion that I do want to go into tech. And, um, and so what, there were a lot of things going through my mind, like, so I built, I built this business, I've taken the, the path less traveled and you know, how am I going to get a job now? Will I ever get like a normal job again? You know what I mean? With it, like, will pay me a salary. I've got, you know, um, will I ever be able to explain to like corporate America or in, in any interview moving forward that like, Hey, I, I took a, I took a year and a half off to work on my own business. And, um, so I think for me, that was, that was a moment of, um, I think fear, but I think what pushed me through it is to say, you know, you have to ultimately believe in your ability you have to believe in yourself and it's so cliche, but I, th I said, something good will happen. And I know it because I can, I can manifest it. I can work hard. I'm, you know, I'm, I, um, I have, you know, high integrity. I've, you know, I've, I have put a lot of goodwill out there in the universe and I can, I, I think I can do something great. And so I think that that summer when I had, I was working with a client and I was kind of like, okay, I need to figure out a way to get into tech. I randomly came across um, a gentleman who who told me about the accelerated MBA program at Columbia called the JTERN program. And I I considered business school, but I wasn't convinced of, of taking like the full time off. But when I learned about this accelerated program where I could continue working with my clients, but also get the MBA, I knew that was like my ticket to breaking into tech. And so I kind of said, you know, I, I pushed past the fear of, you know, what if I don't get in or what, you know, or um, what if this doesn't work out or, you know, whatever. And I said, you know, whatever happens, I'll be able to make it work because I, I think that was probably the first time in my life where I fully believed in myself. And um, even after having like launched the consultancy. And so, and I just, and sure enough, you know, thankfully I was able to learn about the program. I applied, I got in and within a few months I was starting, it was January, it was a few months later. Um, and that's where I think, um, again, it was just that moment of, and it, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes I do operate out of fear to this day and, you know, it's, it's very real, but I think there are, there are certain moments and, and I, I really feel like, you know, to, to the folks that are listening, like it is cliche, but do 
trust that you can believe, you know, that you can do it. And you, you, you all you have is yourself. Like that's it. So, so true. Of, I'm living and breathing yeah. proof of that. I was up until relatively uh, recently, I was the look of uh, anxiety. I was yeah. not a strong, confident human being. And it's like, I made the conscious choice and effort and decisions to say, no, I gotta, I gotta stop that. I think it's a work in progress. It's every oh, single day. Every you day. You wake up, it's a new day. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, I often say that I, I'm this whole life of mine is living in recovery. Yeah. In most cases, I am. Meaning that, you know, when you're in any sort of recovery, it's a daily, you don't just do it a little bit and then you're like, okay, I'm cool. Yeah. Now I could forget about it. No, it's a daily, consistent, find the habits and patterns that you enjoy, that yes. you see the positive results, you can celebrate and go on with that. Well, I will leave you with this final question. Okay. Bianca Caban, how would you like to be remembered? Oh my God, that's heavy. Let's see. So I would like to be remembered as somebody who has made an impact in the lives of hopefully tens, tens of entrepreneurs, maybe hundreds, in the sense of getting them access to whatever they needed to take their businesses to the next level. Um, so I'd like to be remembered as someone who has, an, has had an impact in the entrepreneurship field in um, decreasing uh, d- sort of disparities in, fun- in the funding gap um, for various entrepreneurs. And, and, and that, would be, that would be really awesome. Amazing. Just like you, Bianca. Thank you so much Thank for you so coming much. on, <laughs> joining us, opening up as you did. I really appreciate the dialogue. Likewise, I appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you. listening Thanks. to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.